It's that episode, not that episode, not that episode. It's that episode. It's that episode with Craig Rowan. Welcome to It's That Episode, the podcast where I invite a guest over to my apartment to watch any TV show they choose. Mm -hmm. My guest today is the hilarious Will Hines from the Stepfather's Improv Group. At the UCB Theater. In New York City. New York State. In the United States of America. (laughs) Um, One of the best improvisers in the city. That's right. Very, (laughs) whoa. (laughs) Very, very um, assured of himself. (laughs) And uh, hilarious, hilarious, smart man. Thank you, Craig Rowan. Um, welcome, Will, to It's That Episode. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We've got a good one today, man. Yeah, so why don't you tell... I had never heard of the show that you okay, yeah. ha- had... Some people have heard of this. This is a real cult one. Mm-hmm. Can I just get into it? Yeah. So the show is a Kolchak the Night Stalker. Kolchak. Uh-huh. And uh, it's is a 70, mid-70s, very cheaply made but earnest horror show. Kolchak is a uh, reporter... Uh, I think he's called an independent journalist, and he's ba- it's basically like a precursor to the X-Files, where he investigates things that people don't believe in, and they're, they're always true. And uh, it is, it's not just reminiscent of the X-Files, it is Chris Carter, the creator of the X-Files, has cited this as a big influence on yes, him. Yes, I read that on Wikipedia, my That's right. minor <laughs> research on this, is that he people think the Twilight Zone and Outer Limits inspired X-Files, but he says that this it's is... Culture. It's really, I mean, when you watch it, it's... This is like the main character is like Mulder. Mm-hmm. No one else believes him. He's usually by himself and he discovers these things. They're very like creepy and weird things. The special effects on this show are terrible. X-Files had like a combination of decent effects and sort of savvy camera work to mm-hmm. hide the cheesiness and right. it looked good most of the time, maybe even all the time. This show does not. This this sort of adheres to Star Trek original series mm-hmm. level of effects where they're thinking if the story's good enough, people won't mind that the effects are cheesy. I mean, and just looking at, uh, because we have it up on Apple TV, just the the image for it is looks cheesy. It I looks know. terrible, yeah. yeah. Even for this show, that's a terrible shot. This The star of the show is the guy who, I don't, I don't know his name, but he played... Uh, the father in the Christmas story. That's where I know him best. And from. I found out that he also played the father, maybe more well known, the father <laughs> from Murphy Brown. <laughs> if you're a fan of Murphy Brown, <laughs> which I did watch as a child for some reason, yeah, yeah, um, oh, it was I, a good show. It was, but as a child, it's a weird, I, it's a weird kid I, show. It's like being really into Cagney and Lacey yeah. when you're like seven or something. Exactly. Um, but, so, so this is a show. From the mid-70s, so you watched this yeah, as a child. So I, I was like five when this was on, and I would watch it, and it terrified me. It was the scariest thing I had ever seen, I guess that I had access to, and like gave me legitimate nightmares. And there was one episode, not the one we're going to watch, but this, we're going to watch a good one. One of the episodes scared me so much that I stopped watching the show and in fact wouldn't go wouldn't turn the television on within an hour of it being on like i would look in the tv guide and if night stalker was on any channel i didn't watch tv for an hour before so is that because you were afraid that if i can imagine why the hour before because it's like you might be compelled to turn it on yeah but why an hour after? i believe that i was like in this i believe that i would summon the creatures if I paid too much attention to them, like laying in my bed at night, I would think I would be don't think too much about them. They will come for you like they'll hear you thinking about them, you know, like that little kid yes. monster logic. And I had actual nightmares of the creatures. And when you see the effects, you're going to laugh at the fact that it's scary. But, you know, there was no good special effects. Yeah. Anywhere in TV or movies, this is pre Star Wars. Well, this is like I, I feel I don't know when the sec- the remake of King Kong was made from the seventies. Right around the same time, yeah, probably. like maybe a year after. And I've seen that on TV, and I'm like, this is probably terrible. Big, big budget, like as oh yeah, came, the new King Kong. That it was like Peter Titanic and made, yeah, yeah, and the the effects are like. So laughable. They're worse than the original. I mean, the original King Kong is more imaginative and creative. It's more slick looking. Yeah, then it's than cooler. The, it's got style. Yeah, the seventies is just really sort of pathetic and like. Right. They didn't know how to do special effects basically until Star Wars happened, and then people were like, oh, that's that's a standard for things looking good. So this looks bad, but it is in the tradition of Twilight Zone and Star Trek, in which they sort of ask you to forget the cheesiness of the production and just get into the story. Mm-hmm. And they are they they the stories are good. David Simon. 
of the um, the Sopranos mm-hmm. was one of the consultants on this show and, and contributed to a lot of the stories. Wait, is David is, Simon, uh, not, not, the Wire and Hunt he's the Wire. He's the, who's the Sopranos? David Chase. He him. Mm-hmm. He worked on this show. I had the right wow. credit and the wrong okay. name. That's cool. Yeah, and they do cool. Th- it's it's very there's um little personal touches like um. I don't know. It's a, it's. We'll just watch it. It's a, it's like a good short story when a, a lot of the details are more adult and mean. They'll make references to things like people having like lost a child through a miscarriage as a sort of like backstory incidental. Mm-hmm. Heavy stuff kind Heavy of thrown mis- aside. A lot of miscarriage. Stuff. It's a lot of miscarriage uh, stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, I just meant like. There's heavy stuff. I, it's There's... not a sanitized show. Right. It's sort of it's sort of like asking you to be smart, even though its production isn't. And was there, is there anything that you specifically remember about the this? We're watching the vampire uh, episode. We're watching the vampire episode. I I only vaguely remember it, but the reason we're going to watch it is Kolchak was orig- originally a made-for-TV movie, a one-shot thing, and it, the ratings were so high they made it into a series. And the TV movie was a vampire story, mm-hmm. and so the, th- the third episode of the TV series is a sort of sequel to that movie, mm-hmm. and I'm curious to see it. So the, the, va- the vampires kind of made Kolchak. Kolchak That's cool. I mean, I think like that was also something that happened in the 70s, was there's a TV movie, like Columbo is the same way, I think. Columbo right, was Columbo was a TV movie a TV that got made into movie. a series, because there, I mean, there wasn't, it was like three channels, mm-hmm. and I think the movies were maybe something they did for things they had faith in, but they couldn't get the a green light to commit to a whole season. It's like, right. well, let's do it one night for the movie of the week. Movie of the week was like a thing. But I don't even know how is that... I mean, I, I can't even think about how that logic works. I mean... I don't, you, I don't you, know. You, I know. I don't... I mean, I, we're not... It's got to be like a but, development suit thing. But if they say... No, but if they say, okay, we're going to put it in Kolchak one night, and it has huge ratings, how does this show even have huge ratings... Like, do people call, like, this is good within the first five minutes. I'm going to call five friends and tell them to watch them. Like, yeah, I don't know. know that it's good. I don't know. It must have been the commercials. Well, I guess there were only, th- and there are only three channels, so you're either watching it or you turn the channel to the other two. Maybe they just look at the last hour. How did like, did, did it hook you and stay or something? How did stuff work before the internet? TV, the networks in the 70s had it so good. Yeah. Three networks that controlled everything. Yeah. The same number of people watch television then as now, but it was all into like three places and whoever was watching PBS. And right. it was like nothing else. It's amazing. It will never be that good for television in, in terms of just squeezing money out of the masses right. as it was then. <laughs> exactly. That. Exactly. Um, so we're going to watch the Vampire episode because it's a sequel to the original movie of the week. Um, I'm very excited to see it. Yeah. Um, I, I was a fan of – I watched the X-Files as yeah. uh, the first – a handful of seasons. Yeah, I watched the first five or six or something. Yeah, Maybe I, even seven. I, I saw the first movie in, in theaters. Right. Um, so I'm excited to see it. And I was at Comic-Con and I saw um, the guy who – there's one episode of X-Files where they go to a freak show and there's a guy with puzzle pieces tattooed all over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that guy. Really? Mm-hmm. He's a, that's a real tattoo? I think it's a real tattoo. Man, the guy's got limited roles, but he landed the right one. Right. Or he's that guy wasn't a real person, and there was a guy who's just a fan of that show, and was like, well, I'm going to get that tattoo all over my body. That's what I'll do for the rest of my life. <laughs> all right, so um, why don't we check out The Vampire Kolchak Night Stalker. Yes. Listen, these pictures would have shown... I know. A woman. Yeah. A woman did all this, huh? Yeah, well, ask your men. They chased her for three blocks. Ask them what they saw. All they saw is someone with long hair. Could have been a guy from the Dark Star Cove. Uh-huh. They all have long hair. Yeah. Are they all built like Veronica Lake? Can they can they juggle a Godzilla gang single-handedly, huh? Ever hear of karate, kung fu? Listen, what I saw was not kung fu, and it wasn't chow mein. It was a female vampire. I don't want to hear that with, word with again. With superhuman strength. But I don't have superhuman patience, Kolchak. And what I do have is all used up. Her name is Catherine Rollins. She's a sister of Linda Cortner. She disappeared in Las Vegas after having been bitten by a vamp. Thousands of people disappear. Is Amelia Earhart supposed to show up as a vampire? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. No, no, no. She was a high-priced hooker in Vegas. Now she probably operates exactly the same way down here. Go out, find her, look for her, kill her, use your resources. Chicago, Lieutenant. I'm going to use my resources on you. All right, so we just finished watching Col- Kolchak, Night Stalker, The Vampires. Vampires. Yeah, the third episode of that of, this of the series. show's only season. 20 episodes. I believe, as I read, mm-hmm. again, only on Wikipedia, yeah. there were 20 that aired, 26 were written. Ah. Uh, so too, they didn't get to the final. It's too bad. Six. Got canceled. So this, we found out, 
This episode was written by David Chase. Yes, very cool. Which is really cool. Yeah. Um, who went on to do the Sopranos. the Sopranos. Yeah. Um, fun show to watch. Yes, right? Very Real. Enjoyable. It's a good combination of like 70s cheesiness and badness. Right, but like a real the good the high points are great. I have to say that. So let's give a, a basic. I, I I don't know what it is, but we've had a lot of trouble sort of unwrapping what actually happened. I think I can so. say what happens. Why don't I say you correct me? Okay, it's a vampire story. Mm-hmm. Coltex a reporter. There's been a murder. He's investigating murders in Los Angeles, which turn out to be because of a vampire prostitute. Yes, named Catherine Rawlings, mm-hmm. and. The show starts with a stewardess in Las Vegas pulling over the side of the road, having trouble fixing a flat tire, getting a bloody finger, and then a body starts crawling out of the ground, frightening her. Yes. We think that's Catherine Rawlings, who has been... I believe that's the... Yeah. She was... Actually, that's got to be. It has to be. And she had been converted to a vampire and buried or something three years before, and now she's coming out of the ground. And the three years before was the... TV movie, Night Stalker. Yeah. So now she's in Los Angeles wreaking havoc. As a prostitute. As a prostitute. Bringing John's, or going back to the apartments of her clients and murdering them and draining them of blood. Those were definitely the highlights of the episode. The, her, the, her attacks on people her were awesome. <laughs> were so fierce. Like she, I assume they had a stunt woman do him. Yeah. Unbelievable. And just the whole situation, it's like a prostitute bringing a guy back. So that's kind of pulpy and salacious. The one we saw, the guy goes right for her and starts, like, making out with her and throws her down on the couch very violently. That's kind of, like, an intense, scary situation. And then she, like, kicks him onto the floor and bites his neck and murders him. But when she, like, jumps on the ground, like, it's not, you know, because it's the 70s and how they film it, it's filmed more like a play, which is, you know, like, it's not a lot of cuts. Most of the show is very long takes and slow sequences. So it's not like close-up action scenes. It's her diving at the guy. Yeah. Like, it's crazy action sequences. Later in this episode, she's having, uh, she's making out with a professional football player. And all of his, uh, fellow athletes come in to watch maybe and make fun of him have sex with a prostitute which is awesome (laughs) it's like it's also just like really uh what's the word like um lascivious i mean it's like pulp 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 novel stuff yeah and then she bites his neck and attacks him and throws them through windows throws all these football players across the room and out windows and is gonna murder all of them except the police intervene well uh, yeah kolchak intervenes And he's smart enough to have a cross. So basically, this series is from somebody who's never seen the show. Yeah. Kolchak's a reporter in Chicago, and every episode, I guess, he finds an excuse to go to a different state or follow a lead that he uses his um, sort of cover as a news writer to be able to get access. So in this one, he. There's a story that he's asked to go on to to talk to a transcendental meditation leader. Right, he's 15 years old. His editor sends him to L.A. supposedly to go interview this TM guy, and uh, and he uses that as a like he's trying to sort of fake please his editor back home. Yeah, and he's actually doing his job as a vampire hunter. Yeah, but it's as somebody who's never seen the show, how does he find an excuse every episode? It's to, dumb. It's dumb. And and as you were saying, which I didn't know until the va- very end is, at the end of this episode, he f- he he succeeds. He beats the vampire. He murders Catherine Rawlings. And not only that, it's not like in that nobody believes him. It's that the police believe him. The coroner believes him. Right. The police find him driving a stake into her chest and arrest him for murder. But then after the coroner investigates the body to let him go because the body's been dead for three years. Yeah. So basically he's been... Totally. Exonerated, yeah. Yeah, exonerated yeah. of it. He's been redeemed. Everybody believes him. So as you said while we're watching, it's like... Every well, episode, the editor doesn't believe him. Yeah, so it's like, once that happens, it's like, yeah, he should be sort of a like a well-known person that is believed. Yeah. But it's like the X-Files. This is the inspiration for the X-Files. It's very X-Files. Yeah. He's like a kind of a middle-aged... He's like a mix between Mulder and Columbo. He's like yeah, kind of totally. a goofy, schlumpy dude... But who's smart and knows his stuff and believes. Anyway, so like the X-Files, like after Mulder and Scully find even one thing, yeah. they should no longer be the X-Files. They should be like the primary focus of the department. 
Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Oh, there's like aliens going on. Like that's more of a concern than like yeah. drug going on between like Mississippi and Louisiana or right. something. We should put more than two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I love about Kolchak is the humor is so I bad. Mean, it's so campy now, obviously. And as you said while we we're watching, it's yeah. like, oh, no wonder. Saturday Night Live was such a revelation when it happened. Yeah, because it's, like, not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, sometimes I think, like, we watch old episodes of SNL and they're awesome, but it is... We're spoiled because, like, comedy has gotten so much better on television. But I think, like, just the normal standard of jokes, on TV at least, was bad across the board. Yeah, because there are lines in this where it's obvious. They're not supposed to be corny. They're supposed to be the humor. These are great the light, singers. The light moments. Like, my favorite was... He he's going to uh, meet this transcendental guy, and for some reason they're meeting at a house open open house for selling houses. Yeah, know, the don't guy's know. been renting a house now; it's for sale. So when he gets there, he's missed the TM guy, and there's this kind of plucky real estate agent. Yeah, the real Cole estate agent goes to- like, "Oh, finally, the you're the uh, pest, uh, you're, you're the uh, exterminator, and the goes, termite exterminator." Yeah, he goes, uh, in ter- "Termite inspector, I'm not, though I am known to bug a few people." Right. That's a typical joke from Colchak the Night Stalker. Like, and nobody – like if that happened on a TV show now, like everybody would basically more or less turn to the camera and go like, no, you didn't. You yeah, know, right, like, right, right. So stupid. It'd be like you're the cheesy uncle. That would establish you as the not funny guy. But that's that's the zinger of this episode. And uh, and he does that sort of through his uh, – he has this narration that sort of like threads through the – Yeah, the sort of Rod Serling Twilight Zone where he's updating the viewer on the case – which is awesome. I love. I, Me it's too. Really yeah. Fun. Like it's. A it's fun a show. great show. Yeah. I mean, at that time, also, I feel like. I mean, it's really a sensational show. Like, there's big stuff that goes down. Like, prostitutes, vampires, murders. Like you, like almost rapes are shown in a weird way, and like crosses and fires, and he plunges a stake through somebody's heart. Like they show you the good stuff. Yeah, they and as you said, they like it starts immediately within the first minute. You see a body coming out of the ground. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's fun. It's definitely. I, like I guess I saw them as a kid. They all terrified me. The cheesiness of it was not a factor to me. It was just this a totally terrifying show. Like, I'm watching the whole show as a kid, waiting every moment for something terrible to happen. There really isn't... There's, what, like four sequences of action in that hour show? probably, The initial one, then her bringing that first guy back, and then his... Football. The football one, and then the final one. So four. And the first one is just a hint of it. Right. Although I would count that as a full-on scary thing. Like, hands crawling out of a ground. That's enough. But it's probably about... Three minutes altogether. Yeah. Three and a half minutes. Right, of, right. Of scary stuff. That's but, right. And the other stuff is completely in daylight. Um, yeah. Usually the main character is wearing a cheesy suit or and a pork pie hat. Of That's, right. Sort. That's right. That's um, right. But yeah, I mean, I can imagine as a kid. I mean, I, I don't remember. I never watched. I mean, I, I Freddy Krueger, I th- think, is still would be scary. Oh, definitely. Just, Nightmare on Elm Street's terrifying. Yeah, I've seen it more recently. I'm not scared of it because I've seen it plenty of times. But I think that first one is really scary, and they're all they're all pretty, pretty creepy and scary. And the visual effects in the first one are amazing. Yeah, they're so cool. Yeah, Wes Craven when he's focusing is terrific. When he's good, he's good. Um, but I, I think like I think all seventy shows. So, okay, for me, so I was born in 1970, right? So I, I have very vague memories of, like, shows in 75, 76. Mm-hmm. Pretty good memories of, like, 78, 79, 80. And I was also watching a lot of television because you're a kid, like, and what else are you doing? And by the end of the 80s, TV had definitely become, like, sanitized. Like, it was it was better production and better writing. But, like, it was less gritty. Somehow just – there's just more – bad stuff allowed somehow well isn't it a reflection of the times <laughs> the 70s i guess i mean like on fire yeah i guess that's true the 80s reagan's in i guess i've yeah yeah it was it was like it was like the republicanization of like the media like it got politically correct like you yeah. couldn't say stuff i mean i think this show's even more racially diverse the the other episode that i watched which was a uh, uh, had a big like Jewish um, subplot where the victims were all in a Jewish neighborhood of Chicago, okay. and they and there was um, Nazi uh, swastikas everywhere as graffiti, and you had these conversations of these older Jewish couples who were like, "This is terrible. Who's doing this?" And they're like, "Oh, it's just kids. We can't give it any power." 
And you'd have these like quiet moments of an older Jewish couple discussing what a swastika meant to them. Like it's intense. Wow, yeah. That and is. it turns out in that episode, in a, in a way that's not as cheesy as it's going to sound when I say it, that it, the swastika coincidentally is a religious symbol from a Hindu. Which uh, is true. I, yeah, and yeah. it's being used to ward off this like Indian mythical creature which is murdering people there, there, there's an indian guru who's trying to stop the supernatural creature of that episode with a swastika so the swastika is associated with the murders in an ironic way because the, uh there's a good guy using the swastika to try to stop right. the creature who's killing the jews so is that why coincidentally no um neo-nazis have ever been attacked by a hindu um monster that's right <laughs> because they're like this guy's on this guy's with us yeah <laughs> But um, I guess what I mean is like there's like that's a pretty heavy thing to kind of drop like in the middle of the seventies, which is how far removed from that is World War Two, like yeah, what forty five to seventy five, thirty years, yeah. And to see like an older Jewish couple talking about swastikas, yeah, and Jewish people are getting murdered. That's like it's intense. That is pretty intense. Yeah, and uh, I mean this episode did not have something so weighty, but like they they were not scared of going near things that would be off topic to them. I, mean, I couldn't imagine Buffy the Vampire Slayer showing like a near rape or I don't know, maybe I have only seen one episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. I've heard many times I should see it. Buffy actually did go near really smart stuff. So that's um, a good example to use. But like most television I feel like they just issues of race and religion and anything that Yeah, I mean even this one it dealt it did dealt deal with prostitutes. But like what you were saying while we were watching it was yeah. that if you take away the actual like I guess in that Nazi one or the uh, the uh, Hindu one, yeah, it's not quite the same because that takes on more serious stuff. But in this one, the topic of prostitutes and vampires is very like if you just said that, you can make that a very dark, dark, creepy thing. But yeah, you can have it a like, real scary, intense thing. It's like the skeleton, and then you sort of fill it in with sort of lighter, you know, like I mean, they literally have Kolchak being screamed at by his editor. And the editor and and Kolchak is putting a ra- electric razor near the phone to make it. Sound yeah. Like oh, it's a like, bad connection. I can't hear you. Yeah. yeah. Terrible jokes. Yeah. So it's like. Well, Kolchak's like a goofy dad. Yes. So well, that's why he played Murphy Brown's dad. That's right. Christmas most famously, his most famous role is definitely Murphy's Brown dad, and then much less famous, the dad in the Christmas Story. <laughs> this is uh, this is basically his reel for Goofy Dad, <laughs> Kolchak. But you're right. They took like what could be a dark story, and because he, I mean, he is a really charming actor. To like make it more light and palatable, but Kolchak definitely when they get to the good stuff, man, they don't hold back. It's intense. Um, do you watch a lot of TV in the seventies. Yeah, was this um, like? I mean, this only lasted one season. Was yeah, this a show that was like a cultural mark for you. Like, did you know other people who watched it, or is this just? Yeah, care? when I was, it was like it was the kind of thing where it was like Freaks and Geeks, where when it was on. I don't think people watched it, but then it kind of lived on in syndication for a long time. And I think they even brought it back in the in the two thousands. Yeah, they, that's they right. They did a Night Stalker. They did a Night Stalker. Yeah, I never watched that one. Um, so it was like a syndication thing where people kind of heard about it after the fact, and it was the the broad strokes of it are really cool. And then the de- a lot of the details are not savvy. The jokes are bad. The actors are all very seventies hammy kind of stage acting. Oh, we saw uh, we saw what Mr. Feeney, Mr. Feeney from uh, Boy, Boy Meets, Meets World, World who was always, the police lieutenant in this. Who I can't quite tell if he's British or not. Doesn't he? He's have, got that Tony Randall kind of British gay thing, even if he's neither of those. Yeah, I don't. It sounds. It's British, like foppish and fay. Like when I watched, and you you know him from Knight Rider and Saint Elsewhere. <laughs> and Saint Elsewhere. Um, like whenever. Wait, he's not. Is he who's he in Night Rider? He's, not he's the, the voice. He is the voice. That's he's the car, saying. Michael. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah it's it sort of sounds British, but it's now that I listen to it, it's not. It's just sort of affected. Yeah. Just like rich snobby guy. Um, but in this episode, his job is to basically be like culture. Like it's not vampires. Yeah. Um, which, he's the Margaret Dumont to to Kolchak's Groucho Marx. Yes, he is. Um, with smaller bosoms. That's right. And. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it was weird to see him. Um, How does this um, like when you watch? When you watch, I've talked about this on the show before, but when you watch stuff that like really either meant a lot to you when you were a kid, or had these like like as this one, it scared you so much. So in your head, it's sort of this bigger thing. Yeah, in my head, you watch it like what? How do you feel about that? Like in general, it's so embarrassing. Like it's definitely. Well, I'm. I'm. I. I, There's two things. One is it's embarrassing because it's so much less 
intense than I remembered. I mean, I, I remember like five, so you shouldn't be like I embarrassed. Was, then I mean, embarrassed is the wrong word. Like, it, but it is striking to me how different it is. Like, um, sometimes I would l- you listen to songs you knew as a kid or see a movie, and it's still amazing. Yeah. Uh, but this one is diminished. Like the production is so bad, the jokes are so bad, things are so telegraphed. However, the the moments are so the good moments are so powerful that I can understand why a kid would just be terrified yes. by it. And in the context of the time, did I say this in the recording or to you? Like there was nothing else like it. Like even the Twilight Zone, which was creepy and weird because it was black and white, and the most of the weird stuff happened like sort of off screen. Mm-hmm. Like this was more powerful and sort of lurid. And uh, I can I don't know. It's a really cool show. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, I, I don't think to me it's not as powerful. I feel like the Twilight Zone is more of because like, well, the Twilight Zone is a better story. Like, the Twilight Zone is a better is a better show. Yeah, when it comes down to this, this is like a cliche. Like everything in it is fairly cliched. With Twilight Zone, like some things are legitimately like no, you're right. Yes, I don't can't believe we are all racist. You know, yeah. or like <laughs> well, the details of Twilight Zone are better. Like Serling had a better. Ear yeah. for what was cool or what was not. Did you know like, that he that he? Uh, I don't know if he co-wrote or if he did a pass on it or whatever, but helped write Planet of the Apes. I think he came up with the ending. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. I think he he is the guy that gave them the ending, which makes we can't the movie. Spoil. We can't spoil that. No, yeah, that's right. Please go see Planet of the Apes, the original <laughs> 1971 movie. Uh, yeah, I, I did know that he was involved in that. I think that's awesome. And it does make it just seem like a very long episode of Twilight Zone when you watch it. Yeah. There are things in the Twilight Zone that are real dated yes. and some oh, elements that are bad. But, but overall, it was such a smart show and it and uh, the dialogue and the and the little details of backstory for a lot of the people in that show were smart and great. Like... It is like reading a short story every time you watch an episode of The Twilight Zone in a great way that I don't know if there's any analog for that. I don't think there's any episodic show where every episode is like a dense, yeah. smart story where they skimp on the production a little, but the writing is like super solid. Yeah. I don't even, I, don't, yeah, I can't I don't even know. think of anything. It's like every episode is a play that... I mean, there's like, certainly high quality television all over the place, like yeah. Friday Night Lights and stuff, but episodic like every single one is a little staged play with new actors and characters i mean it's really like it never the reason why there isn't is it never works yeah like an audience has to be invested in the characters they won't watch so it's it's a you're setting yourself up for failure if you're never having recurring characters but they did it for how many four or five seasons twilight zone and it was terrific and then they brought it back made a movie that's right. Where, the movie wasn't bad. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen the whole thing, but I do know that people died on the set of that movie. Right? Yeah, it's uh, Vic Morrow. Yeah. And uh, some kids. Yeah, there was a helicopter that was landing, and it just uh, it, uh, something happened, and it fell over and murdered them. It was oh, horrible. That's really terrible. I mean, uh, it, yeah. And it, that segment's still in the movie, and it's a good segment. I don't know which one is that. It's the one where the racist is... Uh, you see a guy being racist, and then he keeps being weirdly transported into the body of different persecuted people. He's like a oh, I don't know if I've seen that. He's a a Japanese soldier being chased, or he's a Chinese man being chased by Japanese soldiers. Then he's like a Jew being chased by the Nazis, and oh, then he's a black that. man being chased by the Ku Klux Klan or something. The most memorable thing for that movie of me for me is uh, that Dan Aykroyd's in the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is very it's real, real weird. Yeah. And Albert Brooks. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Aykroyd and Albert Brooks. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. It's actually a really cool segment. I think Landis Wait, did that, that, too. Isn't that something with, like, their truckers and then... Do you want to see something really scary? Is that what... Are you asking me, or is that the... No, that's the, that's the catchphrase of that sequence. Oh, okay. You don't remember that sequence? Wait, it's something with his face. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, Aykroyd's a monster. Yes, that's what it is, yeah. He's driving a truck, and he picks up Albert Brooks as a hitchhiker, and they're just reminiscing about the yes, Twilight Zone. Yeah. And they're singing old. T- I think they start off by singing old TV themes, then get to the Twilight Zone, then talk about how good that show is. And then Aykroyd's like, "Hey, very casually, you want to see something really scary?" And then right. it turns into a monster and eats him. That's awesome. It is awesome. Also, it's really funny that if you're remaking a, making a TV show into a movie, at the beginning of the movie, you'd say, "Remember that old TV show?" <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a bad way to start. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, <laughs> I know you're big into. I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot. Go but ahead. I, feel I don't like care. You're good at lists. Yeah, and you're good at. You're really good at marking, like, you're able to, I guess, like, logically figure out. I like doing any version of what, however you finish that sentence. Yes, which I, <laughs> which I can't do. Like, what would you say, 
seventies yeah. wise yeah. most important shows to you, uh. or uh, or your, some of your favorite shows from what from, from this sort of this era or or later because this was early in your in your TV. This world was right? like yeah, real early. I mean, that, that's talking from when I was five till I was ten. So the shows that were on my radar then were like, I mean, it's a, I mean. The shows that dominated my youth were uh, Happy Days, okay. Three's Company, Laverne and Shirley, Cold Jack the Night Stalker. <laughs> <laughs> Wedge that right in there. Uh, Saturday Night Live, because my parents watched it, so like I would very occasionally be allowed to stay up late and watch it. The Tonight Show was like uh-huh. a big deal. Um, those shows I watched like a lot. And then... Um, I mean, a million cartoons, any cartoon that was on, like the entire Saturday morning lineup for those five years. Well, now, I know this is going to change this conversation from Night Stalker to comedy stuff, but I don't care. Um, yeah. But you, when you, because uh, when SNL came on, were yeah. you aware of it when it actually started? Like No. That first year I was five, I don't remember that. I, I became aware of it because my parents, who were, I guess, like early... Mid thirties mm-hmm. uh, were fans and just talked about it nonstop and would dress up like the characters. Like their friends would get together and have costume parties and dress up like it. Really? My mother was obsessed with Steve Martin, who was like a big part of the show. So I think by like the third season, I I'm talking about like maybe five times in the original cast would be would stay up and watch it with my mother. Just and it was just more getting to stay up late was the main dominant part of that experience. Like I remember seeing when Close Encounters came out, there was a parody on SNL of Close Encounters of the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh kind, uh-huh. which were all like playing game night with the aliens. Did you know how the Close Encounters of the first kind is like seeing it, second yes. kind is like having evidence, and the third kind is contact. Right. So that move, Close Encounters of the third kind is contact with aliens. So right. this sketch was like the further signs of intimacy. Which was like carpooling with aliens uh-huh. or something like joking things like that. But it's like Bill Murray and Aykroyd and stuff like that. Um, Wait, I can't even. I can't imagine being in my thirties and having regular costume parties. I guess it wasn't regular, but I mean that, that's <laughs> what put it on my radar. Was like my parents, friends coming over. I guess what maybe twice. Says coneheads. Coneheads. They'll be real shitty coneheads. And it, just my just, everybody would quote Chevy Chase nonstop. Chevy Chase is like the big hit. Even though, Even though he was only on the one season. That's, so what would they say? I'm Chevy Chase, you're not? Or, yeah. Uh, or the Jaws thing? The, uh, yeah, Landshark, Candy Graham. Candy Graham. Um, I'm Chevy Chase, you're not. News for the Hard of Hearing. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of jokes from the first season Weekend Update they would quote. Wow. You hit parents. I think it was everybody. Right. I mean, it was a phenomenon. I think it was just like everybody in there who was cool from like 18 to 35 watched Saturday Night Live. And I think it was the only... And also, Steve Martin on his, as his own phenomenon was mm-hmm. synonymous. I think like his own rise was the same thing as SNL. Yeah. Steve Martin and SNL were synonymous in my house, even though they were technically different things. Yeah, it's so I Did you read that book? This, yeah, uh, Born, Born Standing, Standing Up. Up. Yeah, yeah. Would you like it? I mostly liked it. He's a little precious. Yeah, for that's me. what that's. I liked how, how I complete it was, and I love uh, hearing about how he. Built his routine, I found really fascinating because he didn't come up through any normal channels. He like blazed his own complete trail, which is fascinating. Yeah, but he's full of himself and he writes like a wasp. Yeah, and yeah. I wish I wish he like cut. I like actually I love Mel Brooks memoirs better. He doesn't have like official. Memoir. Anytime there's like an interview with Mel Brooks, uh-huh. where he talks about the old days. Mel Brooks like cuts to it in a way that is more pragmatic. And Woody Allen too. Woody Allen when he talks about old comedy writing days. Or, or Neil Simon, those guys, those stories are, they're better storytellers. Steve Martin's like a rich kid. Yeah, yeah. I actually read something really weird. I'm, I, my bathroom reading, or one of them, my bathroom readings is um, the New York Times obituaries. Like, they <laughs> release a book of, like, the 2011. They do that? Yeah, it's great. I guess that makes sense. Because, re- like, when, um, when uh, who's the founder of Cosmo? The three, three-name woman, Helen Gurley Brown, or something I, like that? I could not tell you. Well, uh, fascinating woman. And she died like within the last three months, and her obituary was amazing. Yeah, I mean it's it's so interesting. But the, one uh, one of the people who I've never heard of him, but he sort of created the revolution of like home movies. He was a guy. One of his movies is the National. What's it called when the movies in National Register of like movies? You know, oh, I don't know. Where they like keep they, them in Washington D.C. Okay. okay. One of his home movies is in there. Like he he would screen them, and they're really like sort of 
created this idea. Oh, really? And he, one of the big ones, which I think is in the National Registry or whatever it's called, is his family's trip to, because he'd, they'd narrate them and they'd like. He'd really produce them. Really produce them, but they were really family movies. So they won a trip to Disneyland or Disney World, whichever one was the first one. Disneyland. Disneyland. Went there, filmed the whole thing, and one of the things that he captured was Steve Martin when he, this is in the fifties or whatever. Oh, juggling or something. Magic and juggling. Oh wow! And Steve Martin watched this movie years later in the nineties and wrote him a letter, yeah. saying like, "That was me. You caught me on t-. like nobody had known that. That was just like, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's isn't insane. That really weird. That's so weird. Yeah. Now I need I. I gotta I see that. Don't know the name of the guy. Yeah. Don't know the name of. We the know National enough. We'll be able to find it. We'll it's find in it. The, it's good bathroom reading, by the way. <laughs> um, that's true. A great obituary. I guess is a great life story. Exactly. It's not depressing. It's it's celebrating as we're celebrating Kolchak. <laughs> <laughs> we lucked out, man. We had David Chase. Yeah, I as the writer. I mean, we, well, you were saying while we were watching, it was like, is there any way that we could find foreshadow of the Sopranos? Any not really. Of the only thing that I saw foreshadowed was the char- one character's name was Faye Kruger, which was Nightmare on Elm Street, not at all. <laughs> and you were looking for There something. was a mobster, the, the, the main pimp mm-hmm. who hired Catherine Rawlings was like an Italian kind of mobster guy. But it is interesting. I mean, Ichabod Grace. Ichabod Grace. Yeah, that was his name. It's like, all right, I'm going to have to use a. Uh, I'll just put in a filler name for now. and uh, I want to call him Big Pussy, but I'm just going to call him Ichabod <laughs> Grace. I just think of it, it's like, I'll write Ichabod. I know it's so weird that I'll remember when I'm reading the draft that I need to change it. And then it just never, <laughs> never actually. To me, like, unique names like that are a sign of a writer who's, like, enjoying himself. Yes. Like, yep. actually is engaged in the script. Well, what you were saying when we were watching it was, like, he pro- I don't know, you know, you were just saying this offhand, but that he probably wrote this in, like, two days or something. And yeah. He's a, a writer for the show. But I do think of, like, the 70s and 80s as people, like, banging out scripts. Is there, was there a reason that I think of that? I don't – I mean, I think that, too, and I don't know why. We could be wrong. But I just feel – I feel like – I think it's even true for TV now, although I know that people who write for shows, friends of ours, like, spend, you know, all hugely long days, tons of hours – pouring over the scripts, lots of people giving their thoughts. So I, I don't mean to belittle how much work goes into them, but I just feel like that the TV industry is famously full of cheapskates who are just trying to squeeze as much content right. out of as little money as possible. So they probably weren't given a lot of time. I mean, it was, this show was probably pitched like, prostitution, vampires, go. Boom. And as long as that's in there, they don't care. So it was just on their own artistic standards that the show was any good, right. I believe. So I, I imagine that he banged it out in three days, but that he like... He cared as much as you can care within three days. Yeah. As a talented guy yeah. who had a sense for a good story. It sort of reminds me of like, did you read Permanent Midnight? Yes. Um, what's his name? Uh, I don't remember the Alf guy. Alf. His name's Alf. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Jerry, uh, I don't, I don't Jerry remember. Jerry Stoller. Maybe that's I it. I think that's it. He also wrote I Fatty, which is a great book. Is it? It's from the... Um, I liked it when I read it. In Isn't it weird when there's super talented people who are associated with essentially like lowbrow shows? Yeah, but like I that mean, Alf would have like a comedy genius working for it. Yeah, I mean it's I mean it's and he I mean that, that's what I'm saying is like he not only did he was he banging out scripts for that, but he was like high on pretty much every drug under the sun yeah. while doing it. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it, but it's also it's like you wasted it. Like you would have been better. Yes, you absolutely those, would have been better. Those episodes of Alf would have been. <laughs> well, I mean, you would have been. Maybe you would have gone home and done something else instead of like sat in a stupor with like a, in a dysfunctional relationship. I'm pro drugs, and I, think, <laughs> I think you're wrong. I'm going to fight you on this. I think doing heroin and, uh, and writing Alf is the best way to do it. I mean, I, I mean, I guess he was employed, and it was funny, and you know. But his well, we're going tangents. But his book, I Fatty, is really interesting because it's from the perspective of Fatty Arbuckle. Oh really? And and Fatty Arbuckle was addicted to maybe heroin. I forget what it was. Oh, so I didn't was know like, that. I and he murdered a prostitute, right? No, or he had sex he so aggressively that she died. No, that's the thing. That's the story, that's though. The story. That's the uh, that he ba- he was so fat he had sex with the prostitute and broke her pelvis. It, it, but that's the story. There are many. Yeah, there are many like miss. Yeah, that's the. Press that's a variation of the. Yeah, but this like, woman died at a party at his place or something. But it, I don't think I forget. But I don't think he was really involved, and it okay. just sort of ruined his career. That these like headlines made, okay. made him made it seem like that. Yeah, and you're perpetuating it now too. So. I am. I'm sorry, Fatty. So his legacy is. <sighs> so that wasn't a part of the book. It was no. It was a big part of the book. Oh. I mean, because that's about his downfall. I mean, it's about he basically was became addicted. He was prescribed 
heroin or something, you yeah. know, because that's... I think it was did. relatively... I think it was like the 1880s heroin was developed or something. Yeah, and then in the 20s... So in the 1920s, like, maybe it wasn't... It, it had like a painkiller. It was like morphine or whatever. Yeah, and uh, it was a... It was an intense but still legally prescribed painkiller. Yeah, um, and uh, also prescribed to writers of ALF. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but um, he... But he... I don't think he really was involved in the murder, but... How do we get on this? I don't know. Oh, Jerry Saul. Oh, banging out scripts. Banging out scripts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have so, you, oh, go ahead. In shows like this where the jokes are so lame and they're, the effects are relatively cheesy, although they're, I think they're done in a very savvy way. Yes. I like to – the little details that the writer throws in, which are not essential to the story and also not expensive so some suit isn't going to bother taking them out. Really is like tell, tells a lot about the creative environment, I think, and that whole conversation in the beginning where I mean, just the fact that Kolchak's cover is that he has to go interview a transcendental yes. meditation guru, yes, and that's the reason he gets to L.A. That I mean, even though transcendental meditation was sort of in fashion at that time, that's still an interesting detail. Yeah, and the the reason Kolchak gets the assignment is there's another guy on Kolchak's news staff who wants the job. And Kolchak gets it partly because he's read more books on Transcendental Meditation. Yes. Like he name drops all these books on TM. So that or at least editor... he knows the names of them. We don't know if he right. actually read them. But yes. It's but even like... that's interesting. I think those are all real books. I feel like that's something that David Chase is probably uh, – David Chase is the right name, yes. Is sitting around. And he's like, oh, I've been reading news articles about yeah. this. I'll have him be into this. That's interesting. Well, yeah. I think it's, it's fun. Like, it's a sign – I mean I feel like – I don't have that much experience writing like big longer things, but it's like nice to import like that makes that of the time. If you're watching, you're like, oh, I've been hearing about transcendental. Yeah, everybody's talking about it. It's, it's a, a smart move. It's like it's, it's topical. Like, it's topical, but it's not like just it's totally shoehorned in. Yeah, it's not just like it's not like if like some TV producers like mention Twitter. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like it's Which like a little probably bit happens all the time. Yeah. Now. But I was sort of – I'm sort of glad in a way that it wasn't I – th- I was thinking that because I've never seen the show. Yeah. That that fake sort of the cover for why he's actually there would play a part in it. You know, like I'm glad that later like the transcendental meditation guru didn't like help him yeah. think of the way to solve the crime, you know? Yeah, they'd be a little just, too convenient. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of just more like atmosphere in the background, I guess. Yeah, but at the same time they did that. They did other stuff that wasn't as, uh, you know, smart or, like, nuanced where they had, like, one of these guys who works in TV news yeah. was, like, visiting Kolchak's office and talking to him. And he's like, I got to get out of here before the editor sees me. And then it I owe him money. Yeah, exactly. Like, I owe him $500. Yeah. You know, like, that was totally unnecessary. I guess it was, like, a fun way to get him out of the room. But I, I, I attribute that to the low standards for sense of humor of the time. Yeah. Everyone's always lying and trying to scam for a buck. Like, that's what we were also saying about the um, – There was they didn't make a joke out of it. But the fact that when uh, Kolchak checks into his hotel, the guy who – the bellhop or whatever basically asks for a tip. Right, and that was like I've first a pronounced all, moment of waiting for the tip and Coltex awkwardly getting out his wallet. Yeah, that was like a thing that might. I feel like every every seventies and eighties and sixties TV show and movies, whenever someone gets brought to the hotel room, giving the tip is like a thing that you spend time on. Yeah, you pay attention to the movie and TV show pays attention. I don't know why. And nowadays, I don't even think I've ever been offered somebody to bring my bags anywhere. Yeah, no one brings your bags. Yeah. I don't know. Tipping yeah. Bellman really bothered the writers of TV shows and movies. Yeah, they're like, oh, God, those fucking bellhops. <laughs> We're going to really stick it to them. If you're a bellhop and you're watching those, you're like, why the fuck are we doing <laughs> It's our shit. job, man. We're giving the shit end of the stick. We it's bring like, the bags up. Be- <laughs> so little, and I'm lugging these bags. <laughs> Give me $2. I'm not asking for a ton of money. There was sort of a pronounced sexual innuendo in this do you remember when Kolchak at one point Kolchak gets the real estate lady to write his real article for him so he yes, can go chase yeah. the vampires and he drops the real estate lady off at his hotel room while, he, while he's going on to investigate the murders so he pulls up to the hotel and he tells the he says to the woman in front of the bellhop go up to the hotel room and start without me and then he leaves and the bellhop like, looks at the camera like Ooh. yeah it's I, and it's like a little longer than you'd expect that they leave on his reaction yeah it was actually sort of funny it was, it was funny but I, and it was it was, <laughs> it was it was cheesy 
It was funnier than most of the cheesy jokes, but it was also it's pretty uh, dirty. Yeah, it was dirty. I, I didn't say so. I got aroused. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was fully engaged sexually in that <laughs> we, moment. We were both. We were both. We paused to let our boners go down. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like you're right. It seemed like David Chase was having a good time. They, I mean, he was flexing smart muscles now and then. He was making interesting choices. Like I'd say, if I was offered a job to write for Kolchak Night Soccer, I'd be pretty psyched. You'd be psyched, man. You get to write about like zombies and like. And the later episodes, they get they go through like most of the like there's a werewolf episode and a zombie episode, but they go through like more mysterious, just sort of like dark mists that like rob your soul and stuff like that. It's sort of when you first mentioned the show or when I first read the summary or something, it sort of made me think of and I've never watched the show, so I can't talk to them that much, but I've seen clips from it. Baywatch Nights, which is um, like I've never seen that either. Have you heard of it? I mean, yeah. Basically, did a spinoff of Baywatch where it was, I mean, an actual spinoff of Baywatch. Okay. Where it was fighting like beings, otherworldly beings. Is that what it was about? David Hasselhoff was in it. I think it was called Baywatch Nights. Uh, that was a, there was a show called Baywatch Nights. I had no idea. That is legitimately what it is. And there are episodes with titles like The Vampire or like, you know, like Wolf, Wolf Man Night or, you know, it's, it, I mean, that is this. It seems exactly like this. That's show, amazing. But with David Hasselhoff and yeah, it's crazy. I and, and I'm, I'm stunned here. I can't believe that. I mean, Baywatch was like this enormously successful thing, right? Like it yes. made tons of cash all over the world. Yes, and huge ratings for like not that much money. Just having these hot girls like run down the beach in slow motion. So I guess it was, in terms of a money-making machine, really ingenious. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what the executive who's like, well, everybody loves these boobs. Everybody loves running on the beach. So let's take that, put it at night, and add vampires. I wonder if it was just like a Hasselhoff thing where it's like, I've made so much money. Let me do this fun thing. And if maybe it'll make money. And if not, we'll just take it off after yeah, a year. I have to say, like, if I was offered that job to write for Baywatch Nights, I feel like that would be super exciting. Too. Like, yeah. It is like. Oh, it'd be really fun. It'd be so much fun. It'd be for- so crazy. To write like a Pamela Anderson analog. I assume she wasn't in it. Yes, yeah, I don't think she was. It was all the other. the um, I used to know that. Yeah, Donna, Donna Diatro or D apostrophe something. She was in the cover of Maxim once, I remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that might be the saddest sentence I've ever heard. I don't know. There's something sad about buying a Maxim. With- I didn't. I just remember it on the cover, if That's that makes amazing. it any better or worse. <laughs> I uh, used to buy Maxim once in a while. So Yeah, you were at a more respectable age. I was probably like 75 years old when I bought that cover. <laughs> well, you are 90 now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think this is a cool show. It's, yeah. it's like a cool time capsule of a... Smart people doing a show for not that much money that transcended its time in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah, I, I, I very much enjoyed it. I would watch it again. I feel like I really – it's enjoyable in the way that, to me, Columbo is enjoyable. Yeah, like there's, Columbo's a better show, but yeah, Columbo, it is like that. Columbo is better, but it's it's totally – you know where every episode's going. Every yeah. episode's neatly wrapped up. Yeah. You know something – I think this doesn't happen in this episode, but like in Columbo, it's like something that you sort of notice will always play a role in the end. You know, actually in this one, it did happen. It did. They did the, he's driving in the on the street. He's, he's driving to LA and he notices a big cross. He notices the cross, and that at the end is the cross that he he lights on fire to subdue the vampire, so he can murder the vampire. her. I mean, vampire stories are. I mean, it's it's. I guess it's such a like nothing's ever different about a vampire story. Like at the end, it's just putting a cross in front of their face and then just putting a stake in their heart. But I think they the didn't... cross thing's a big weakness. I mean, getting a stake to somebody's heart is intense, but why do you th- why is the cross that just it's easy It's holding a cross? Also, it's like to negate this being of supernatural strength and speed. All you gotta do is hold up a cross. And also he just like takes two fireplace pokers and crosses them. Yes. And that works. Yeah. I mean, and what also, what is it that just the idea Christianity? Of Christianity stops. <laughs> it's just, Goodness, I guess, against the being of evil. The Christian church is good. And I mean, would a Star of David work? Would like a Buddhist, would any religious symbol of goodness stop a vampire? Swastikas also work. No, swastikas like give it more power. Yeah. Like any evil stuff would, would well, drive no, it. As we learned in the later episode of Kolchak. It, it's an Indian sign for good. I think it might be the opposite. Well, I went. To, yeah, it's the opposite orientation. It's the opposite orientation. Right. It's it's you're right. It's the mirror image of a swastika. That's like, did, that's exactly right. I was at um uh the the what's that big air and space museum in in Smithsonian? No, the air and space museum. Intrepid. In, in no, the 
It's the no. I know what it is. It's oh. the Air and Space Museum in Washington D.C. Oh, uh, have you ever been there? Yes. It, well, they they st- it's funny because they stop. I went there in the nineties in the nineties uh-huh. in in school, mm-hmm. and I've gone back recently, and it they didn't change anything because they don't have a lot of funding for like. Oh. And uh, but they had a Lindbergh like the nose cap of his. Spirit of okay, yeah, spirit of twenty nine. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and it's signed by all the people involved in building it, and it's signed by Lindbergh. And the middle is just a huge swastika, and and the write up has nothing about that. Oh, it might have mentioned that it was like the Hindu thing, but it's also like, wasn't he like a Nazi supporter? He was, yeah. yeah. So it's like they sort of like really glazed over that. Oh my god, it's horrible. Yeah, it made me uncomfortable, but yeah. But what are you going to do? Um, well, his child got murdered. Come up and see. No, it's <laughs> a terrible thing to say. That's a terrible, terrible thing to It say. was uh, an interesting man's life. Um, any any closing thoughts on Kolchak? Anything that you'd say uh, to somebody who, uh, a child growing up now, um, that's scared of a TV show? or It'll, it'll get better, mm-hmm. but you're also partly right. <laughs> <laughs> um well, I thank you so much, Will, for my stopping pleasure, by and introducing me to this show. My pleasure. And uh, it will stay on my Netflix instant queue for... Yeah, I'm going to watch a couple more. Yeah, I think... A couple I'll, more I want to see. I'll have to check them out. Yep. Um, I appreciate it, Will. Thank you, Craig. Be safe at night. I will. I'd like to thank Will Hines again for stopping by and watching Kolchak with me. That was a fun one. Uh, and I'd like to thank all the fans for listening. Uh, you represent a great deal of the geography of the world... Um, but interestingly enough, there are listeners in every state of the United States except for North Dakota. I don't know why, but uh, I'm able to see where the downloads come from. Nobody from North Dakota has ever listened to the show. Maybe somebody who was born there that moved. But out of every state, there's zero downloads from North Dakota. There are more downloads in Kenya, in Africa, than in North Dakota. Why? I don't know, but if you're a listener and if you have a friend in North Dakota, please share this with them. I, I want to reach out. I don't know why they have beef with me. I don't want this to be a feud. But, uh, you know, when there are more downloads in Malawi and Tunisia than in North Dakota, I think it, I take it personally. So let's get the word out. Let's pass this on to North Dakota. And thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week. Have a great night and an early manana. Adios, amigos. Amigos.